how to make chill music. What's up, Daw Nation? Welcome to this week's episode of In the Daw with Tim Schaufert, breaking down his song, Wherever You Go, which was released on Lowly Palace and was featured on Mr. Suicide Sheep and Chill Nation. In this episode, you're going to learn about how often to put drum slash percussion fills in your music, why keeping things off the grid brings life into your music, Bitwig versus Ableton, playing call and response with melodies and drums, how to know when to make a different second drop, and of course, just generally how to make chill music. And finally, this episode is sponsored by the A5 and In The Daw sound design course called The School Bass. If you want to learn more about that, we're going to talk about it at the end of this episode. But Daw Nation, let's get into this week's episode and go In The Daw right now. Twitch, I was watching Silence streaming. Just when I got back into music, I was debating between Ableton and like something else, you know. I was like, all right, Ableton looks pretty cool, but I, I thought like Bitwig looked kind of similar to Ableton. And I just liked the UI a little bit better. I tried both demos of Ableton and Bitwig. I just liked the flow and Bitwig was for me better and just uh, the UI. And then the rest, like a lot of the stuff is pretty similar as you'll see. It's like the devices are very similar. For those who don't know, Bitwig is literally is just like it's a bunch of rogue Ableton developers and, and coders and all that kind of stuff. They literally just left Ableton and they created Bitwig. And so they're kind of like their sister, what's called sister companies in a way. Very, very similar. But Bitwig has always intrigued me because I always felt like Bitwig, they knew what didn't work inside of Ableton. And so they created a DAW that did everything that Ableton couldn't. But I've mm-hmm. never played with it, so I don't know. I mean, but yeah. you're saying it's pretty dang good, right? Yeah, especially modulators, which I'll show. I'm not sure how many I used in here. I'll definitely like show it at some point what what I like about it and how you can basically treat every, let's just take Serum for example, you can treat any synth or extend any synth with stuff like LFOs here you can see ADR, whatever, step sequencer, and then you can modulate every parameter in Serum with these added modulators. You're basically extending every VST that you own with lots of possibilities. By the way, for those who are seeing his Serum skin and probably noticing that there's something different about it, yeah, you can change the skin inside of Serum, you can download different skins, so don't worry too much, you know, if your skin doesn't look like that, yeah, so he has, like, I have one that looks like an Egyptian tomb, it's really cool, but yeah, don't don't get too caught up in the guys. Let's just show one yeah, thing here actually at, while we're talking about it. So I'm, I just put in an LFO into the Serum device and now I can go ahead, I just click this level thing and now let me just modulate it with the LFO. And now you can see that this is being modulated by Bitwig and you can do that with any parameter basically. And as far as like the style that it's modulating, right? So right now it kind of looks like a triangle wave. You can create mm-hmm. whatever you want, any shape that you want, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, this is just the LFO. There's the craziest stuff in here, which I haven't even used. Normally I use LFOs or the ADSR, it's like the typical stuff, but there's steps where you can be do a step sequencer and like everything, whatever you need is in here. X, Y, random. This one I actually use a fair amount random, just in like little amounts to change, make it a little more lively analog or random, like a little more human. You just put that on on, on some type of setting. Like yeah, put that on like here. something and put it very subtle. And then you have just a constant small change that's, you know, barely noticeable, but does add some life to it. Also, I believe inside of Bitwig, you can have MIDI and audio on the same track, right? Yeah, exactly. And you can bounce basically here. This is just MIDI now. So this would be like a pad. 
And then you can take the MIDI note and bounce it just in here. All right, we already got it to glitching. Oh, that's great. So now we have the, the audio and the and the MIDI in the same track. Right, so now this just plays audio, doesn't take up the serum CPU anymore, and you can chop it up however you want. It just starts ignoring this serum, so it's as if I deactivate this. But once it goes to the MIDI, it'll start using serum again. Should we start at the very, very beginning, Mr. Tim? Yeah, let's start with the intro, which right. is pretty spherical. And does the so, intro start at uh, at bar 13? Yeah, I just usually push things around a little bit. Sometimes I try out a little something like a longer intro and then I end up deleting it. And then also, like if I do a very short intro that doesn't necessarily fit in a 16 bar setting, then I don't like it having... If you zoom out and you have the grid here in 16 bar intervals, then it kind of, is kind of weird if you start out with the two-bar intro or something. For sure. All right, so here we have some basic paths, but it's two layered on top of each other. Yeah, let's start with those two different pads. So what are those two pads? It looks like they're both both serum? They're pretty simple. I noticed while I was going through this project in preparation that I was using lots of sine waves here. It doesn't really sound like a sine wave though because I'm just starting off with it and then I'm adding some saturation here with the Saturn afterwards, which gives me some overtones. Let's listen to the first pad here, which, you know, this looks extremely simple. Sine waves, a little bit of uh, attack and release. The stuff comes afterwards though. The serum patch is, you know, non-existent basically, all unison. Can you play the sine wave just by itself with everything else turned off? Just so we can see the yep. starting point. Nice. I also have to mute this stuff on the group here then. So this is the start of the pad. Then this has unison two. I put it to zero with here, the unison, so that it's wobbling basically. And then there's some chorus added onto it, which gives it a little more movement even. So this is actually kind of like a respace patch. This is like how I start love respaces if this were a, a saw wave. Right. And uh, really quick for those who don't know what, you know, like what, what he's talking about was so like with the unison, when you start doing unison, it creates, you know, multiple versions of whatever wave that you have. But when you bring the width down to zero, they all start overlapping with each other and kind of creates this really cool kind of wobbly noise. Like that's what we're getting right now. Right. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. They cancel each other out or make each other louder at certain points. And then the chorus like kind of enhances that even as just a little bit more movement because without it it's just kind of very simple wobbling and then it gets a little bit more interest with the chorus and then from here like this is kind of how i do a lot of things actually sometimes i go crazy in serum but frequently i just do very basic and then i add everything else in post for this pad here i created myself some chains which you also have an able and you can do the racks right so these I called pad maker chains and I self saved them. And what they are is a bunch of reverb. Here's a vintage verb, 72% wet, a lot of decay. And there's probably some more. Yeah, there's a lot of shimmer here. So this is in the chain, which is, so it's a group for both the serum patches, which are sine waves basically, and playing different notes. And then in the group, I you know, give all this reverb. What's this, like a coom filter to, with the modulator here, we can see the, the stuff I explained about Bitwig before. 
this is giving some movement you know, a slow movement then we have some faster movement here on the retro color going up with the distortion and back down and then this wobble here i love a lot they're being what modulated by those modulators that you talked about earlier, right? Yeah, that's actually great that we can see it right on the first patch now. What's cool is that you can see those buttons moving. You know, that's kind of neat. Yeah, this is becoming kind of a meme now, RC20. I've seen that popping up in lots of, like on Reddit, for example, or in producer forums. I feel like a lot of people are using it and I've been throwing it on nearly every stint that I do. It's just mainly for this wobble thing here, which is adding a wow and a flutter. So slight pitch modulations. One is a little faster, the flutter is fast and the wow is slow, so it adds human element. So I'm, I'm going to just crank this up to see what it sounds like. Right. And then if we make it subtle. Um, if we have it subtle, it's, it's not like annoying or sounds detuned, but it adds a little bit of an analog quality to it. I guess what you associate with like 70s or 80s synths. And uh, it's just not, I don't like when it's, when the synth is put to zero fine, like it's perfectly on pitch and it always is perfectly on pitch. There's no change. Like it's always hitting the note perfectly. That's kind of, you know, as if a vocal or a violin was perfectly flat, which is desirable in some cases, but the music that I do, I like it more lively. Yeah, man, it puts that, it really helps put that, that human element into it. Someone who's relatively in the same space as you, obviously different, but relatively the same space as Fotels. You know Fotels? You love him. He, he does obvi like obviously harder things than you do, but still within the realm of, of you know, kind of that, that dark, emotional kind of vibe. But he loves exactly, like we, we did an episode with him a while ago. He does, he's talking about the exact same stuff that you're talking about, like the wow, the flutter, the off the grid, the, the imperfections is what creates a, like a perfect masterpiece, so to say. So I love it, dude. I'm in. You sign me up, coach. Like, let's keep going. All right, so that's the chain number one. This is not, I was probably not completely intentional by doing this. So it's like, oh, this needs a comb filter. And now this needs, I was probably just trying stuff out. And the thing that I do know what I want is that I, I know I want movement. So that's why I put this movement here, but it's not, it wasn't an exact science. It's, oh, I need this exactly. Then let's look at chain two, which is probably even adding more reverb. So we have a delay here. This is just fairly basic delay, more of the RC20, more chorus. This is all just giving some more random movements, even more like a third instant RC20. This is probably happens to me quite a bit when I'm like, I put a plugin on and it sounds kind of cool. And then in the next step, I'm like, oh, what could this use? And even more. And I'm like, oh, well, another instant of this would be cool or even more. And then I just throw another one of those plugins on. The two pads, the two serum patches that were the pads, were both of them the same patch and then processed differently and then on the group level or how's, are they two different patches and how does that work out? Basically the same patch. It does look like I opened another serum though. And this is just a little bit bent. So what we can actually see here is on the first pad, I have a pure sine wave and then I added some Saturn after the fact to give it overtones. While on the other one, I have just the serum and then I add some bend to give it overtones. I mean, probably 
probably going to be something similar, but a little bit different so that the first pad doesn't sound exactly the same like the like the second one. I'm also hearing like a, a vocals. Is that what the pad snow Kiara? How, how do you say that? What's her name? Oh, yeah. Kiara. Kiara well, this is you. just my reference. Kiara. This is a singer. And we had so we wrote it's called Snow Kiara at certain places. You can see this because one of the reference was Snow Patrol. And I think we'll hear like a little arp later that kind of sounds like like a Snow Patrol intro or something and then we like the Kiara Fields song and then we kind of took those two references and uh, tried to create something with a similar vibe yeah we can listen to the vocal Hearing a low bass synth, low meaty bass. Yeah. All right. Let's look into this one. So we have two layers: bass lame and bass evil. The bass lame. Let me listen to it. All right. So that's that one. And then we have evil. So are they the same patch, just tweaked a little bit differently? They sound very similar. Yeah, let me have a look. All right, they look very different. Oh yeah, I remember what I did with this one. So the evil one, which is what we're looking at right now, these waveforms look kind of weird, right? But it says basic shapes. What I did here is I went in, I took out a little bit of the fundamental. You can go in in Serum here, you can click this, this button, right? Where you edit the waveform and then you can go here into the sine waves of the waveform. And then I think the reason I did this is because the bass lame already has the fundamental that I wanted. And some people like if they create a layer for the bass, they take it out with the EQ, right? You would go into the to the layer and cut it off the low notes with the EQ. That can get a little funny if the lowest note is moving a lot. So what I did here is I just went into the waveform and pulled down the, the fundamental just in the waveform. And then I was left with some of the overtones. So it still has some of the fundamental, but I guess it works sounded fine to me. So this is lots of unison. It has 100% width. In this case, I got the volume effect in a different way than we just showed with the pad. So what I do for a bass is I have this at 100% often, and then in some way or another, I mono the bass. So I mean, this is a fairly well-known trick. What I did here is a multi-band effects. I split two bands and lows and highs, and you can see here at 140 hertz, I hand both sides to the middle, and then I get basically in the highs, I get this really nice wide Reese and then the lows, it's still wobbling. Let's see what else is in this patch. All right, so this is still pretty bassy here. And then this, this guy gives the overtones. This thing is not filtered. Uh, it's only getting filtered later on. What's also pretty important here is glide. As you can see, it's set to mono and then a very long portamento time, 320 milliseconds. That's pretty long. It's very audible, but it kind of gives it an evil feel. Yep. And you can even change in Serum, you can change here how fast it slides or not how fast, but in which, you know, it starts in the beginning, beginning it's a little faster and it goes slower. And then it's filtered with the volcano. It's just a filter with a lot of different modes. 
Uh, as you can see, I use a lot of Fapultor plugins. After the Volcano, I put some saturation. So it's Saturn and then Faturator, which are both adding um, yeah, saturation or distortion. I'll, I'll turn those off. I've never seen the Faturator before. That is, it looks amazing. Is it just a, like just a saturator? It's really cool. So what I do use it for is primarily actually the fuzz, which I didn't do here. Yeah, it's a saturator. It distorts pretty heavily if you go the drive all the way up. What it does very well, better than other plugins or what's unique to it, is if you crank up this fuzz, it creates a kind of a white noise layer. Let's just try this out on this patch. So without actually really distorting the rest of the sound, you know, not the bottom isn't completely ruined, but it adds like a high-end layer. And I haven't really found another plugin that where you can just dial in a little bit of high-end noise like For this. For sure. That's really cool though. I, I like that a lot. So other than that, I, there's probably no particular reason that I used the Faturator on this and the Saturn. It's just like some saturation. And I thought probably this, oh, this sounds cool. So I added two of these. It doesn't sound too different, actually. If I take those off, we could we're just able to hear it, but it's a little different. Right, it's just ha has a little more high energy or mid energy. I do this very often that after the filtering, I add saturation because I guess it's in the same realm as was what we discussed earlier. It kind of sounds a little like digital to me if I filter something and that's the last plugin in the chain. Kind of sounds like a digital effect, but if you add a little bit of saturation afterwards, it adds some of the high frequencies back in that you took out with the filter and then it becomes more organic again. This is probably the reason why I like that in my tracks because I like to have them organic and that kind of just gives it back a little bit. All right. And then we have some more volcano. This is just a high pass filter that's probably coming in before the drop here somewhere. I would assume. All right. Doesn't look like it, but at some point probably. And then the bass lame. Let's have a look at this one. All right. This is a fairly typical Reese here. Unison set to two, detune 15, or, you know, whatever sounds good. It's a saw wave width to 100. And then I probably did the same thing with the lows here where I uh, summed them. Yeah. So here I did it differently with the Pro Q3. You can also sum the lows. So I just EQ'd out the sides basically for the bass. So that's achieving the same thing. So we have the same ideas. The Reese is nice and wide in the highs and in the lows it's wobbling as you can even see in the EQ. So I see you're using a combination of Pro-Q2 and Pro-Q3. Is there a reason for that? No, I just got Pro-Q at some point. I realized that I can do this mono summing, that I can do it just the fastest with Pro-Q3. The base evil I must have created before I learned this. This is, you know, this was more of a, a longer way to, to get the base to get mono or summit to mono. I think that's the only reason. And then Pro-Q was probably in there before. For those who don't know what summing to mono means, can you explain that just a little bit more and why it's important? For low frequencies, the, the ears can't really distinguish where it's coming from. Is it like from the left or the right? It, it kind of always sounds mono as soon as you go like below 
like 60 hertz or something, the human ear just can't perceive where it's located or at least not as well as in the mid-range. And a lot of the speakers and, and clubs, they're just set to mono in the bass anyway. And it would be kind of confusing if they weren't. Like if you hear the kick from the right speaker and like the right side of the dance floor has more of the kick than the left one, that would be kind of weird. That's why it's a good idea for like stuff that you want to play out in particular to have everything in the bass in mono and for respaces and it also holds true especially because you want that wobbling effect in the low end and if you don't have it in mono then it won't the, the waves won't cancel each other out here we have these two saw waves if one of them is hard left and one of them is hard right as they would be in unison set to two and with 100 they wouldn't cancel each other out if you do mono them in the low end then in the low end let's just look at the pro q you can actually see it well here so now you can see here in the low notes how it's wobbling because those notes are canceling each other out now. If I don't do this, it does this. It just stays the same volume because one's now perfectly on the left, one's mm -hmm. perfectly on the right. Let's see if I did something on the group channel for these two bases. They're just layered. I couldn't tell, you know, this is the particular reason why I layered them. I actually have that in my notes that um, you'll see quite a few layers in this track. But I've had some discussions with other musicians and some questions about layering. And, and it seems like there's this misconception that like layering is great and you should always do it. Or, you know, this track is only good if it has X amount of layers. And I think for a lot of people, it's just like, oh, something's missing or I want, I would like this quality and this sound right now. So then I'm going to go in and add a second layer to it to get that quality. Not just because I want it fatter or, you know, I want five layers. It's just like, oh, so I really want this one quality in here and I know I can achieve this with this layer. I like that as, as opposed to living up to some arbitrary standard that says you must have X amount of layers. You see it rather as what does the sound need? I don't care about this arbitrary. You need to have X amount of layers. I just like, what does the sound need? What does it, what does it need to become? That's your mindset, right? Exactly. Love yeah. It. I think that it's tempting to say like, oh, you know, my, my track's better if it has 200 tracks or 10 layers on the least synth, but it's not necessarily that. It's just, uh, what's the purpose? On the group channel here, I just have some compression. So you see three compressors in a row. This one, it's just doing some very mild compression. Like it's just catching the peaks. And then the other two, they're probably sidechain because I do sidechain with Pro C and you, you, yeah, this is sidechain. You can see nothing's happening un until the kick comes in. Well, you do sidechain with Pro C, that's cool. Yeah, actually I tried LFO tool recently, uh, but I couldn't find how I can get look ahead on because this is what I like about this. I have this setting that I can show you guys, which works perfectly well for me. I have look ahead on and I set this to 3.3 three, and then I never get any clicks because with some other sidechain I get clicks. And with the look ahead of three milliseconds, it starts fading out a little bit before the kick hits, the, the bass starts to fade. So it's actually perfectly gone when the transient of the kick hits. If I look into my master limiter, when my kick hits, it's really only the kicks. If I solo my kick where I have the whole track playing, it's basically the same thing if I have to look at on. If I don't have that on, there's always this like little leftover. This is what works for me to have the kick perfectly sidechained. And it doesn't click this way. I've never seen someone use Pro C for sidechaining before, but... I mean, it makes sense. It's Pro C. It's a good sidechain. Yeah, I can do everything. Searching for no one. 
the piano what is it that is so beautiful the piano arp this is a piano that i don't use all that often because I, it sounds kind of cheap if you play it just chords but on this one it did have its purpose it's just very simple here some reverb on it uh, should be here yeah so not some reverb a lot of reverb um just EQing out the lows, and that's that's all it is. The tool is just doing some volume automation, probably. What is that image and heat box of? That looks freaking awesome. Box of tricks, I think. Yeah, this has just a bunch of different small things in it. That's pretty cool. I like to just like grab something and like try what it sounds like uh, with this. It's it just has a bunch of different. Let me see if we can play something here right now. It's like a bunch of different small instruments. That's cool. I didn't know that existed. I knew you were going to have a bunch of dark elements that were going to like little dark. I don't know if dark is a beautiful, beautifully dark, deliciously dark elements like this that you'd have in your in your toolbox. Well, their A and B actually sounded pretty cool. Could have used that in the track too. See, this looks like it adds to the piano probably. The pluck arb. Yeah, so this is kind of a layer. Not quite. It's playing a little different notes. But uh, same rhythm. And you got a whale pad? What the freak is a whale pad? Let's just solo it and then, then I'll explain what it is. Just like a gliding pad. And I've been using these. I think I have a, made myself a few. I call these pitchy pads, actually. Yeah, so I have a few of these. This is also just a sine wave, probably. Right. In this case, it's a filtered saw wave. I use these pads frequently, so I put it mono, I put a, quite the high portamento time on it, and then quite a lot of reverb. It's either like a sine or a filtered saw, so that it has more low frequencies. And then you just play two notes or, or three. It has a nice gliding effect, and I've been using that in quite a few tracks to the point where I'm like, okay, I can't use this anymore. I have to like think of something new. Yeah, this actually comes up later. This is the lead sound in the drop then actually. So there's where we get to it then. That'll be fun. Drums, of course, these look a little overwhelming if I show them right now because it's so many tracks. But yeah, it's kind of manageable. A lot of these are just random, like one shot samples for fills that I like. So it's not actually that much. We have the main group here, which is kick, a snare and some hats. This is just two kicks. I like the bottom of this one and the top of this one. So I EQ'd from the kick top, I EQ'd the lows out. And from the bottom, I EQ'd well, a little bit of the highs out, I guess. So this solo, this still has quite a bit of highs. And I wanted to add a little bit more something to it. The snares also two layers. For the snares, I often end up with layers. It doesn't also it doesn't have to be that. It's just that you can kind of vary the snare up if you have some layers and then you shift them a little bit with the timing. I don't think I did this here. It doesn't look like it, but uh, 
what I mean. And I probably did that with some other percussionists. If you have some multiple layers and you shift it, every hit is a little bit differently shifted as I'm doing it right now. You get kind of a organic feel to it too. Right, so now every symbol is a little bit different. We just created three unique samples, basically. The hats here, yeah, pretty standard. And are they uh, off the grid as well? They look like they're shifted a little bit, I think, right? The hats? Yeah, I think, are they shifted a little bit? Yeah, so for the hats, I basically always do that. So I would assume I did the same thing here. Yeah, they're definitely not on grid, as you guys can see. They're shifted off a little bit. This has a little bit of a swing. And then for these fields here, solo the hats. This is kind of wild. I don't know what this rhythm is. Actually fairly on grid, but using these layers here kind of creates like different unique sounding samples in that way. So this is what I, where I like layering hi-hats quite a bit because you can, if I only had this one sample here to work with, let's say this top one, then it kind of always sounds the same on every hit. Of course, I can alter the velocity, the volume of it. But if I have different stuff to work with, then I can alter the velocity of each individual layer creates something new or alter the timing a little bit. How often do you do you do fills out of curiosity? Like every four bars, every two bars, every eight bars? Like what do you what do you usually do? After half the drop is over or half of this section, I would do a one big fill. So this is after this would be four bars here. This is a little misleading because for a lot of people this would be eight bars. I, I like to work in like halftime BPM. So I'm working 62 BPM right now. A lot of people would set this to 100 and uh, 24. So for me, it's four bars. I definitely would put a big fill in here, like something that really changes it up. And then after four bars of that again, and then we transition into a different part, which is this, this is a drop part. And then in the middle, after four bars of the drop part, which is half of the drop part, I would do another kind of like fill that stands out. And in between, I still like do some variation. So after two bars here in my BPM, I still frequently do variations. It doesn't look like in the hi-hats I did too much of this. I did a little bit actually, you can see it here. This is different. And then in the kick, it looks like I switched up the kick pattern here. You can definitely see how like none of this is the same. There's a little bit here. If I duplicate this over, you can see the changes that are going on here. And I also like to have for the for the drum fields, what can be cool is silencing or deleting some of the drums, putting some others to the forefront, or even deleting some of the instruments when you play a heavy drum fill so that you're not dividing attention. Before the drum fill, there's a lot of melody going on and the drums are kind of in the background and playing kind of the same pattern. But then after four or eight bars, you'll like, for just a second, you mute an instrument that's in a foreground and then you put a big drum fill in there. And then you bring focus through the drums. It's kind of a call and response. Then you back it again, you know, take down the, the drums back again to the melody. This is really cool to hear because, you know, most of the time, with most people that have been on the show when they talk about call and response, they talk about call and response between two different sound design sounds, like so like usually two basses. But you're talking about call and response through the drums and the melody, right? Is that what you're referring to? Exactly, yeah. I, I feel like that's a kind of call and response too. It's just, yeah, like the... The main focus can only be on one thing at a time. Of course, you can perceive a little bit more, but I don't like when the melody after eight bars is doing something wild and unexpected and the drums are doing something wild and unexpected that, that wants to grab your attention. Then I find myself often in, in trouble. 
too much, right? Because you're starting to split the attention. Yeah, ex right? exactly. The, I think the only way you can pull that off is if they complement each other and they're playing the same rhythm. But then you would be kind of, you know, then you, you would be layering the melody with a drum. So it's kind of, you know, just enhancing it. But if they're doing separate things, it will be quite difficult. Right. You can't, because you're touching on the concept of like, what are things that enhance and what are things that overlap, right? So like, how, I mean, how would you explain it, right? It's like, think about friends that you hang out with that enhance each other that like when all of you get together it like enhances the experience it's fantastic we're all enhance each other you know we're all having a good time whatever but then there's the friends who try to overlap each other right you can't have both of them in the same room because they just talk over each other and try to you know become the, the center of the room at the same time it's just it's just too much right and so it's kind of like you know with these elements you want them to enhance each other not overstep each other because if they overstep each other it's just it's just too much right exactly don't be that friend don't be that friend. <laughs> then there's some little fills let's just listen to this right what this is here Yep, so there's a little tom fill, nothing major. This is just after the four bars that we discussed. Here, I actually muted the hats, as you can see. There were some hats here, but I was like, all right, this is probably gonna be a little too much. So I muted the hats, and now the focus is just on the toms, and, and the vocals are also going on at the same time. This all is thing in between here. This is just random one-off samples or, or fills. Foley group, this is pretty minimal in this track. I often use a lot of Foley and this one is pretty subtle. So it's just adding to the snare. Let's listen to it again in context, adding a little before the snare. And here we can actually see what I talked about earlier with the snare. I was a little bit confused that I didn't vary this here with the timing, but now we can see actually, because I usually do something like this, we can actually see now that variation that I did is down here in this thing, because this now adds a little bit of another sound to the snare and uh, gives it, makes it a little bit of a different sample. You know, it's not overwhelmingly obvious but it's there it's just a little bit different than the first snare hit it's the attention to detail do you know who zang griffin is so we're doing a course with him and he's breaking down his zodiac album right now you know one of the things i really like one of my big huge takeaways that which is like what you're kind of dancing around right here but to like really come out into the front and say it is like when you're using foley and when you have these like little different variations kind of stuff right here it's the attention to detail humans may not be able to decipher this on on a conscious level but they will be able to decipher on a subconscious level there will be something about the song that they don't know how to explain but that they like and what that comes from is kind of little things that you're doing right here the little switch ups the little adding elements here and there it's not huge things but subconsciously they're gonna be like something I, I really like something else this really plays into that feeling and then also the foley part of it dude i want to touch on the foley part so he is a really huge proponent of using foley and using foley around the concept of the song. So like, for example, in his Zodiac album, when he was doing his song, Leo, Leo is a lion, the Zodiac, uh, the Zodiac sound for a lion. So he did a bunch of stuff with lion samples inside of the song, you know what I mean? A bunch of little Foley things here and there. Not, I mean, not too much, but it just adds to that kind of the, the attention to detail, right? You can't create a masterpiece without an attention to detail. Can we agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Eh? I like that a lot that it's like for him, it's intentional. And uh, I feel like even by these little choices that seem like maybe they wouldn't make a difference. If you pick the right stuff that fits a, th a theme in the song, then sometimes you can create out of little pieces, like something very cohesive. Like even if you don't think 
like let's say the the background ambience that I add doesn't really matter. Sometimes it does. Like I've been working on this new track and had this background ambience running there, and it was okay. And and I thought, well, this this track sound kind of sounds like a jungle track, like like some of the instruments has like a jungle impact. And then I switched out the background ambience to something that. Like I just, I googled for like jungle recording, you know, and some of jungle sounds very very subtle are in there. If you make a lot of these choices, it can add up, not necessarily, but uh, can like make it more cohesive. We have a main vocal. Obviously, great performance. That's a great start. In this case, we were using an old mic, which was very not optimal. So I had to do a very odd EQ curve. Please don't copy this at home. I added some DS, but this is probably not all DSing that's going on. And this is just a little bit of compression here. Not that much, um, but there will come more later. So let's look at actually what's going on in here, because I feel like this is what a lot of people may not know, but I've seen a lot of uh, high profile people do, which is gain writing, I guess it's called everything in the audio files. Sure, I had a deesser in there, I had a compressor in there, those can work, but I also manually went in and whenever I hear something where I'm like, oh, this was a little loud or this was this bothered me or this was a little too clicky, I go in manually and I drag down the gain for this particular thing, whatever it was. I see. And you feel like that gives you more of a, a dynamically cohesive sound, kind of like takes out the, the crazy dynamics in the sound? Yeah, especially for since this vocal is very quiet and whispery, a lot of the consonants were really loud. If I, you know, if I take this out, it, it, the waveform will look different. It takes, it takes your so the T it here is pretty loud. I took that out a little bit. And then the breathing also, this is going to be... Way too loud, you know. I lowered this by like what is that, fifteen decibels. Have you ever heard of a vocal writer by by waves? I think I played with that like three years ago, okay. but I don't quite remember what it does. Yeah, so it's, it does exactly what you're doing right now. Instead of you going in and drawing all the automation, it goes in and draws the automation for you, and then you can go back and tweak the automation. So it kind of like goes through and like kind of flattens it out vocal automation wise, like volume automation wise. And then whenever you, whatever like wasn't right, you can go back and tweak it. And so it kind of like does the heavy lifting for you. Instead of you having to go and do all of it, it kind of does a rough draft and then you go and perfect it. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. If the vocal belted maybe is not as necessary but since edm also often has breathy female vocals i feel like this is a technique a lot of people could make their vocals sound a lot better and like it was a game changer for me once i realized okay i should go in there and like take control of all of the details and it's really quite drastic changes sometimes you can see some of the gain staging is wild and it makes sense right because if you know a lot of people they have the tendency just to slap the compressor on just compress the crap out of it the problem with that is that when you do that the more you compress it the more you alter it right well it brings out the imperfections in particular i feel like like if oh sure if you have a perfectly recorded vocal you know by whatever adele sends your vocal then you can probably compress it a lot 
But if you have a, a vocal that's not 100% perfectly recorded and you compress it a lot, then you're going to bring out like room noise and this little click right here and it gets pretty messy. Because you can only compress it so much because you're squishing it. That's, that's effectively what you're doing. You're squishing it. The more you squish it, the more the tendency for the imperfections to come out. That's why you do the vocal writing. So that way you can get that consistency in the dynamics of the vocal so it's not too loud here and there. It's you know pretty consistent as far as, as volume. It makes sense, Tim. He's exactly. You and all right, so let's see what I'm doing on the group. There's some more compression here. This is, um, I mean, this is actually pretty heavy compression for my style. Uh, so there's three compressors, which are all close to doing three decibels. It does work on this track. And I wanted to have some more compression on this group because there are layers coming in here. I wanted to have a consistent output with the layers on. This one's compressed individually, but once I added the layers, it like fluctuated again a little bit more and I wanted to have more like glue it together. Let's listen to the layers because we had a lot of struggle with this Cash for Gold and, and I we're going back and forth on, on this pre-drop here and we're like, well, this is kind of how we want it to sound and maybe you should sing it more shouty, more belty. But I like the whispering aspect of it also. I just really like breathy vocals. And we figured out how we could pull that off and that was by me layering lower pitched sides to it, which gave it more energy because it didn't have, like when you came from the verse and you went into this pre-drop, it kind of went down in energy or right? like it sounded less full or something. It was kind of the opposite of what you wanted it to be. So then I added, I think these should be the low layers. And are they just fermented down? Is that what we're hearing? Yep. This is minus five. So Elastique, I think a lot of DOS have this algorithm by now. Go minus five in the formants down and the other one's minus three or a little bit more. And then I pan them a little bit. Sometimes I do hard left, hard right, but in this case, just a little bit was okay. And then I have some wild processing on them. This one's a little bit less. At some point, this got so messy that like with all the different stuff that we tried with the vocals that I just left it like this. Like it looks a little weird that I have this other side in a different group here and it has like wildly different processing than the right side. And I usually would work a little cleaner. But in this case, I was like a little confused and overwhelmed with, with everything that we switched out. And, and then I just left it like that. I was like, okay, it sounds great to me. And let's just leave it. I saw a plugin somewhere. Is FabFilter Timeless? I think that was. Was that a thing that I saw? Timeless is on the main group. And this is just still the delay. Let's see if this is actually active. I'm, I'm assuming I'm just automating it. Um, so these are the automations. Okay, so this is just active once throughout the whole thing. So let's let's listen to the delay. Yeah, so this is just the, this delay right here. It's an automated washout. Exactly. So the input, I automate the input so you can't hear it on during the rest of the track. This is actually a really cool delay. I use this quite a bit because it has this these filters here and you can really filter the delay heavily, which a lot of other delays, you know, you can do it, but it's usually more subtle. It's like a not as the heart of a filter. Whenever I want a really strong filtered delay. And why is that? Why, why would you say that uh, filtering your delay is, is a desirable 
thing. It changes or it creates a variation of it. If I hear a delay of the main vocal and it has exactly the same frequencies, then it sounds like then it would be completely in the front. It just as the main vocal should be in the front or you want it to be in the front and then you have the delay and then it's still the same. Like It would sound like as if it should be the main vocal. But if, once you start filtering, it starts filtering out the highest, then it sounds more as if it were in the background, for example. It doesn't grab your attention as much, which is what you probably want because you're not usually trying to use a delay as like a main lead. You're trying to use it as more of like ambience creation or evoking some form of mood. Which is obviously very, very important for the type of music that you're making. And that's actually something a lot of people forget, right? They think that they want to put stuff in the back. They just slap a reverb, slap a delay on, you know, puts them in the back. Problem is that you're missing that that very hardcore audio acoustic trick, I guess you would say, which is in order for us to perceive that something is far away, we need to start cutting out the highs. The farther away it sounds like it gets quieter and the highs start dipping out as well, right? The combination of those two make it feel like it's getting further away. It's tricking your brain to make sure it's getting away. So not just lowering the volume it's and not just putting reverb it's, or a delay, it's those things plus cutting out the highs, right? That's what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Also put other stuff on delays or not usually, but frequently, I say. Like even another effect like chorus or I don't know, maybe even a bit crush or like, I'll just try different stuff because sometimes you don't know what sounds cool on the delay, but anything that makes it sound different than the main vocal can be a really cool effect on a delay. On the fat filter here, you have these two filters and you can really drag them easily and quickly. And, and they have like different modes even for like how they distort and you can set them very cutting off very hardly. So let's just try around here a little bit. So you can get really resonant delays out of this. And with the usually analog emulated delays, they're more of a soft, soft cutoff in the highs. So this is more like an effect, like very obvious delay. We have this, the delay going on. All right, let's listen to this group again. Yeah, uh, the compression I already talked about, we have a little bit of saturation. This is set to 27%, so it's in parallel, basically. It's, it's like adding the original signal and the processed signal in a little bit. Probably also make it a little more cohesive here. We have some reverb. There are two different reverbs here. This, just because it sounds cool, you know, I had one reverb on there. It was enough at a certain point. And then I thought, oh, actually it needs a little more. And then verse, rather than going in here again and changing it, I just added another one. It's maybe not cleanest thing in theory, but if it sounds good, then it's cool. And how, how many vocal layers are we looking at? This is four layers. We have the main, we have those pitch down sides and then we have this reverb layer which is kind of a combination of a reverb and a delay we have the timeless here again actually i'll play that too i frequently add something like this where it's just a reverb and, and a delay and it's set to 100 percent, and then i gently fade it in and see like, okay, what sounds good here? Like how, how much of an ambience do I want to add? This is 
you could technically do this on the main channel, of course, like adding a, a, a long reverb as I did here. But here I have different EQ settings and which, which gives the reverb a different quality and sets it apart from the main vocal. So I guess you could also do that with the send channel, which is how a lot of people do it. In this case, I just duplicated the vocal put the reverb to 100% and then I like processed the vocal differently to make the vocal or to make the reverb sound differently than the reverb of the main vocal. I see a channel that says reversed, reverse evil reverb. That sounds amazingly intriguing. What we got going on, Tim? Yeah, that's just reverse reverb. Let's listen. Yep, that's, I rendered it out so I can't see it exactly, but it's it sounds like it's just a little bit of delay in there too, and then just reverb, and then reversed. It's probably just called evil because it reversed reverb sounds kind of evil. So for those who don't know what it is, basically what you do is, so you take a vocal and you reverse it and you put a bunch of reverb on it and then you convert all that to audio and then you reverse it back. So now the vocal is playing normally again, so it kind of reverses into itself, right? Is that what we're talking about? Exactly. So I just tried to demonstrate it while we were talking. So I, you know, I pressed W here to reverse it, put a long reverb on it, bounce it out, take the, or take this and then reverse it back. And then you can just drop it in under the main vocal and it's perfectly aligned. It's a very neat trick to yeah, transition into vocals very frequently. That's done just in this case, didn't use it for transitions, but rather just to maybe fill a little silence here and there or give some more interest to the vocal where I felt, okay, this might be a little boring at this stage or at this point in time. So let's add a little something. It's an age old trick, but it works really, really good, especially with vocals. It's been around forever for a reason. I said four layers. It is a little bit more four layers were just like the vocal that is always playing. So we have some more delays of going on and this reverse reverb. And we have a filter delay here. Okay, so that's also only coming in at certain points. The same idea here that we discussed earlier, really heavy filtering. The highs are pretty much gone from this. And it comes in at la later again at two points during the song. And then there's some more of that, like random delays. I all often I create a lot of different delays. So I, I wouldn't like use the same setting all the time for all the delays. I, I'm not sure why it's, it's probably because it starts sounding cheesy to me. If I use the same delay like 10 times in a song, I don't like it anymore. So, you know, try a different plugin on the main vocal. Uh, that's kind of how I go about it. I'm like, oh, let's try this thing. Let's try this filter setting. Let's try this plugin and see what it does to the delay. Delay. It's just kind of trial and error. I actually forgot something pretty cool that I want to talk about, which is these wobbling synths here. So we have this layer, sauce low, and then we have sauce pulsing. I was tinkering with this layers here a little bit. I had the whole verse here without them and it was kind of sounding boring and I added some, some chords to it and they were just straight without any rhythm. And then it was, it didn't have enough rhythm the whole song. And I was like, all right, I, I got it. Like I have to pulse it a little bit, or maybe I have to, I have to get some sort of rhythm into them. I think. Yeah, so it's right here. And in, in, so if we open Serum, then we have this pulsing thing here on the level. The whole patch is looking a little more complex than the other stuff we saw because of these LFOs. 
This is for level. This is also modulating a little bit the level, but that is for giving it more volume as the pre-chorus progresses. So it starts out a little more quiet and then it rises up a little bit. So you have that movement all the time here during the during the pre-chorus or pre-drop where it swells upwards a little bit, then goes down a little bit. And you can see that in this automation here, which is quite confusing looking, but you can see here how I swell things up and ramps up a little bit. This is the volcano, the filter frequency. And then it goes down again, swells up again, goes down and it has, creates movement. And then at the same time, it has the pulsing too. We have a rhythm and we have a little bit of a swell going on, which gives it a lot of interest and variety it's always evolving right it's never stagnant it's, it's, it kind of plays on the concept that we've all that we've been talking about all throughout this episode which is to make it feel like it's a breathing moving living thing and by doing that by creating these automations you really help achieve that yeah for sure i feel like this is something that i learned later on in, in production is i was watching quite a few tutorials and I, you know love watching in the doll for example and sometimes i was watching videos from people who weren't in my genre at all. And I, I would be like, oh, I have to like use OTT on 90% on all of my tracks because that's what they're doing. And then I realized, wait, wait, I'm actually, I'm not making dubstep. So maybe I sh maybe I don't need to do that. And so for me, this technique that we discussed here, this is more of, I feel like what's along my lines, like have it evolving, have it sounding organic, have it sounding changing. And this is all uh, achieving that, everything that's in here. The saturator here, we can have a look at this again. I'm bringing up the fuzz here too to increase the swelling. You can see the automation right here. Swells up, goes down. Adds a little bit of white noise on top. Yeah, the rest of the the chain here all looks very wild. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of plugins, but it's just throwing stuff on, seeing what works. This is kind of cool here. The EQ is... Also doing this swelling motion. It's a it's kind of an odd automation here. I think it's a cue. Yeah, it's a cue that I'm automating. So I'm cutting out a huge portion of the frequencies right in the middle. And then it, you know, goes up as I wanted to have that swell effect. All contributing to that living, breathing element to the song, right? Exactly. And then this other layer here is pretty gritty. Has a lot of distortion. It sounds very, very like bland without the distortion. This, for some reason, this distortion here even adds a little bit of LFO where it sounds like the volume is automated. This is just boring without, it's just some saws. Yeah, and you can see the wobble here too. 2%, really not a lot, but adds to the organicness once again. This is a very old patch that I did. Face drop here. This is three layered approach. Uh, also looks a little bit intimidating maybe, but I did this like very early on and it still holds up to this base, base patch, like kind of works. I was reading on Reddit at the time. I was like, oh, you should do like three layers for your base and this is how you do it. And then I just tried this out and it worked. I did one layer with a sub. I think this is just a sine wave. 
not sure if we can hear it solo here. Let's see. Yeah, perfect. A sine wave and another sine wave. So one mm -hmm. one octave lower, one one above that. Very clean sub. Then we have the mid bass. This is a custom waveform that I sampled. I sampled from a sorrow song or sleepless. And I liked the bass that was in there and I sampled it and I put it in here. Yeah, created this waveform. It's just very, it doesn't have a lot of overtones. So pretty basic. There's nothing else going on here. I didn't really know how to use serum back then. So it's all very, very simple. I cut out the lows here because, well, we already have the sub layer. I wanted everything gone here, or at least that's what Reddit told me at the time. So I just cut out right here. So I did that. Some saturation to give it more overtones and then a little bit of OTT too. Always gives you more highs, even, if I, even when I drag this high slider down. Then we have the high bass. So that, that's the saw, which is bending plus and minus, evolving. So let's try it bypassing this. Changing a little bit and evolving a little bit with the bend plus minus. Unison to seven here and a saw wave and a filter on top. And then this cuts out even more of the lows because this is our high base, so the high layer. So now we have it like very cleanly. We have, okay, this is our sub, this is our mid base. So we cut out the sub and then I have the high, which is, I don't even want this in the mid, playing in the mid base region. Then on the group channel, we have the same thing that we saw earlier, which is monoing the sides in the base. This again looks a little overwhelming, but it's really not that much. It's some filtering that I probably automate. Yep, there we go. I automate to go up and down here at certain points. Let's listen to that. Yep, so, right, nice bass swell here. Here we have a glide. Glide looks like this, a very common technique for respaces where you do an octave glide. I even went two octaves here. You've probably heard this before in songs. It's everywhere and it just sounds really cool. Where like on the left side where it shows all of your plugins right now, and it shows like some of them are half circles or like moons and some of them are like actual like circles. What does that mean? disabled some of the plugins or puts them to sleep when they're not in use so that they don't use CPU. If they're half moon, they're asleep. And now they will only turn back on basically if this is being played. Here it shouldn't play. Uh, yeah. So if I play this section here, it's, you know, there's no MIDI information. So they're still in sleep. So basically at this point in time, it, these are not using as much CPU power. Now when the note hits, it'll turn on till the full sun or full moon. And then they're, uh, they have to be active, of course. And it works perfectly too. Like you would maybe think that, oh, this adds some clicks here and there, but it never does. I feel like this has a little bit of a look ahead built in. It knows, okay, now something's about to come up. So I got to turn this plugin on. Ableton, come on, these little things. Yes. Then we have some, the Ozone Exciter, it's just adding some distortion. There's three of them because why not? I was like, all right, I need a little more. Needs even a little more and I need some more. Nothing really other than just some saturation. Let's just turn that off and see what it sounds like. 
right a lot quieter probably not even adding that many overtones then i have a compressor going on and a limiter afterwards you can really compress this quite a lot and limit it uh, without it sounding weird so here you can see the wobbles of the re-space which we have from that face cancellation that we discussed earlier although i'm i'm not the guy to like compress and smash everything because i, I like doing chill music I, I still on the basis it's, it's all fine like you can't even really hear it and it ends up sounding more consistent usually it's not like it sounds overly overly smashed even if you if you put smash it into limiter like i did here this is very interesting that this bass patch i still use even though it's you know i made this a few months after i started because i i just copied it basically from from this reddit and and made a little bit of my own variation of it and it still sounds cool now we have the lead which i find very interesting because this is still just a sine wave and it is a lead then after processing we start with the whale pad that i described earlier we have a sine wave we have set to mono and glide and we need to add some overtones because the sine wave on its own is probably not going to be lead material. Like it's just, you know, it doesn't have enough, doesn't fill enough of the frequency spectrum. I honestly thought that lead was vocal chops from the singer, but it's actually a sine wave. I do that quite a lot to process the vocal like this and, you know, drag it out or distort it and then add it as a lead. And I think in this case, it does sound like it because the sine wave for some reason with some distortion on it and the glide can sound like a vocal. I think it's mainly the glide that makes it sound like a vocal, but I've had that before on patches like this, where it sounds kind of like a vocal. Now we want to add some overtones to this science. There is a little bit of bend going on here. It adds just a hair. The rest of the patch, I think there's nothing in here. Yeah, this, I don't know what this does. Okay, this changes the level a little bit and changes the bend a little bit, but nothing major. This is one of my favorite plugins. Yeah, just go ahead and steal this trick because it's pretty amazing. This is Byte by Native Instruments, and I use this to add uh, as a bit crusher, and you use it to add a lot of noise or a subtle noise. Very frequently, I drag this down here to like something in here, 8 kilohertz or 10 or 7, and then add some jitter. What makes this plugin special in comparison to other bit crushers is that the filter here, the filter moves with the kilohertz setting here. In a classic bit crusher, you can like go down in quality here in the bit crush and it'll add this aliasing, right? It is. So let's just turn the filter up and it sounds kind of horrible. And This filter here, that now it moves though, now it's at three kilohertz. And if you crank this up, the, the filter here goes up with it. So that makes it really special in, in my opinion, because it sounds musical. Like it's very easy to use this bit crusher in a musically pleasing way because it, it the filter takes out these very unpleasant sounding frequencies. And this kind of sounds nice and lo-fi. Here, the, the jitter is adding noise. So we have some overtones with the noise. We have some overtones with the saturation. We move further along. We have some retro color, add more distortion, more overtones. Then we have shimmer, which has a little bit of feedback going on, which adds another octave on top. So this is a reverb that has like pitch shift up 12 semitones and a little bit of feedback. It's not much, but it adds just a little bit of overtones to it again. Then we have another chain, which is probably one of these pad maker chains that I showed earlier. We have a coom filter. We have the 
Yeah, I think this is the exact same pad chain that we looked at at this intro pad, right? We had the same moving distortion bit. This is adding lots of reverb and also some more distortion. Then after the fact, we have an amp. Definitely changes things quite a bit. So that's adding a lot of the highs. Then I EQ'd it very drastically to boost the highs that I added with all these plugins here. All these subtle amount of highs that I added, I ramped it up with the EQ. A little more distortion at the end for even more high frequencies, and that's it. See, we have some layers here again. This is the main one. I think the high layer is only coming in later. Yep. So with the ARP, it doesn't sound as fast. Like the drop loses a little bit of the energy. The the fast notes here definitely show that this is an energetic part. This is like the the drop. The ARP and Serum looks quite basic again. Bottle Blow is one of my favorite waveforms because it sounds organic. It's a sine wave with some added overtones from someone blowing into a bottle or something. Yeah, so this is pretty straightforward, I think. Some waveforms and a filter. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound too complex either. You can definitely hear the saturation of it, which is makes it sound, some would say, warm or vintage or analog. You can see all these saturation plugins here again. They're not destroying it. It's not really heavily distorting. It's more adding, yeah, that like organic or analog feel to it. We have the chords from earlier. We have those, yeah, those chops, which I really like. That is an amp crunchy amp and Saturn. As you guys can see, I use a lot of Saturn. They have like normal saturation and they have these cool amps and on vocal chops. I just like trying out a bunch of stuff. Amps can definitely sound cool on vocal chops to give it a little bit of a different quality from the main vocal. This is again, form and shifted down. We have seen this earlier again. OTT because, well, we're in the drop now, so let's add some OTT. Let's add some amp to make the vocal pobble, make it more energetic. So this fits with the progression of the song. It's not completely chill now anymore. We're, we want a little bit of energy in there. We have the timeless here, which is adding a very loud delay, very heavily filtered too. And then we have some reverb. This should go into the second verse. Is there any element in that little breakdown verse part that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, there's a super saw bounce. Let's see. I remember this was very basic, so I didn't actually get the original patch for this. This is really just a super saw, I think, with some distortion here. The rest is the same. We have the bass again. We have different drums. We got some different drums now. Arp is still playing, which the Arp. In this case, it moves it forward and the drums from the first verse. So the first verse is all 
you know, without drums, nice and spherical and intro-esque. In this verse two now, we, we amp up a little bit of the energy. We say, okay, there's a little bit more going on here. The ARP is playing, the drums are playing. For the drums that are added, we have like continuous little clap or some other percussive element. So for this, we can see again, as we talked about earlier, I varied up the samples here a lot. The gain changes quite a bit, and I might have even changed a little bit of the timings here. Yep, here you can see, okay, it's not on the grid anymore. You have another layer, which is sometimes, here we have this crane perk one-shot perfect clap. This, we have this D stuff fill. And they're always changing a little bit in the timing. So that keeps it organic. It creates new samples. Out of these two, when you shift them around a little bit back and forth, you always create a, a, a unique sample on every hit. It sounds really nice and organic. If this is all the same volume, all the same timing, it sounds really robotic and boring. And then here, same idea. It's just a little more even. Here, the fire perk adds even a little more highs and a little longer so that we make sure that it's progressing from these short claps here into a little more energy even. You know, I'm telling the listener, okay, we're, we're going somewhere with this and it's, it's building a little bit of tension. And then we have the next pre-drop, which in this case doesn't have drums for the first section. I think we already have all the elements, we have them covered except the drums. There's a buildup that's new. The vocals the same, we have already covered all the instruments. And then we just have the old snare build. This is a loop from Crane. As you can see, I've used quite a lot of Crane samples in this one. Loop going underneath and then I'm adding to that loop, I'm adding like different layers to it. So let's listen to the loop and solo. All right, so that's pretty quiet. And then I'm, I'm adding my own stuff here. And then we have a big tom fill, which are C. Yep. So these are pitching down, which is a very common move for these tom fills. You can see here, pitch zero, pitch minus one, pitching them around a little bit, and then they're saturated and clipped, which makes them sound a little beefier and bigger. The second drop, and is there any other new elements that were brought into the second drop? No, it's the same, at least for the first half. Sometimes that works, not all the time, but especially if you have enough new stuff in the middle or the time between the two drops is long enough, then it can definitely just be okay to copy it over. If the drops are too close to each other or the verses are the, exactly the same, then okay, then you need something new in the second drop. To really walk that fine line between repetition and variation, right? Usually I think I lean toward adding something to the drop, to the second drop or changing up maybe a little bit, but... Sometimes really it just works perfectly and then there's nothing wrong with it uh, to just leave it. If I'm listening to it on the second drop and I'm excited for how it is, 
I should stop myself from overthinking and be like, oh, I need to add something to it because otherwise it's not good. I, I didn't do my job. If I'm like really excited and maybe get goosebumps and I get into zone when I hear the second drop, then well, well it works. Then so after the drop, does it just kind of go into like a breakdown outro kind of thing? Just a little outro, just very short, basically just uh, some reverb. long bass down so show you how i made that because that's also a bit week special which is really cool let's go into the bass here and i'm going to show you one thing that i love about this DAW. you can see this little bar here in the middle of the midi note right which is kind of unusual there's this thing called MPE, it comes with it, and there's like a few other plugins on the market that use that. And what you can do with that is basically be in between MIDI notes. And so in this case, let's see, we started our A sharp here, and now we can draw this line to another note and it will pitch it. Right? I'm gonna make it louder. So this is basically pitch bend, but you have perfect control over it. Like I can see in the piano roll here, I can see, oh, I want it on my G sharp or I want it on my C. And uh, I wanted, you know, maybe I want the curve to bend like this and this to bend like this. And you can all do that with the MIDI note and serum enabled. You don't need to render anything. You can just dude draw it in there. Stop. Because you're right, inside of Ableton, it's not like that. You just go into the to the automation window and you can draw your automations like that, but you don't really know. You don't really know where it's at. Exactly. So from what I've seen from other DAWs, you have to, you know, have to use this thing here. So you set this to 12 or whatever you want, and then you can use the pitch bend here, but you don't know like which note is this. And it says like, oh, it's 60% or whatever, but you don't have the, you don't know, okay, I, am I at a G? That's how I did this thing. And then I rendered it out. And then the rest is just some reverb tails. I think I probably did some automation here to have it fade out nicely. What is one music production topic that you want to understand more? One thing that you just feel like you don't have a full grasp on there that you really, really want to understand more, something you don't understand. So what I've been struggling with is melodies. That's actually a very easy question for me to answer because that's been like an ongoing struggle for me for one and a half, two years. I've always been like, oh, I want to get better with melodies. I tried different things and I never really got better at it or maybe I got a little bit better, but not to a place where I felt good about it or even good about the, the progress that I'm making. I felt like a lot of my my tracks, like I, I rely then on the vocal to fill that melody section, that part. But whenever I had to come up with a melody on my own, I didn't have a vocalist or, you know, I didn't have a sample that had a great melody, then I was struggling. I'm still struggling, but I, at least I found a thing that helps me with that, which is I have a piano here to the left. I have that plugged into my computer. And at some point I just realized, okay, I need to play stuff because I was trying to get better at melodies, drawing stuff in with the mouse for like two years. And I never really made progress regardless of what I tried. But once I was playing on the piano, I had a lot more fun and, and progress came quicker and like everything just started moving better. I'm definitely still not at the place where 
I'm like, okay, melodies is not my weakness anymore. But at least now I know how to move forward with it. Kind of baffling to hear that like the thing that, that you struggled with was melodies because your melodies are like legendary. Like they're so good. Like that's you. But you're saying right now, kind of the strategy that you're using to get over that is that you got the piano and now you're just messing around with the piano a lot in order to create those melodies. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So I actually had the piano before I started producing. It is MIDI piano, fortunately, so I can plug it in. And I never really used it. And now finally I made the move to use it. I appreciate you saying that, that you like my melodies, but I think that's because I always worked around it. So I, I was like not playing a melody or drawing it in, but rather I would take maybe a vocal and pitch it around and have a, a melody kind of randomly generated for me. Whenever I didn't have that technique, whenever I couldn't rely on this on this thing, you know, and I actually had to put in the notes, then is when I was struggling. How often do you use, like you go and find the MIDI of your favorite songs and dissect that MIDI? The MIDI itself, well, I look at chord progressions frequently. I feel like I, as a person, I do like to take a lot from other songs and look at them, dissect them and try to figure out how they did that. And I definitely do that with chord progressions. You can actually do this if you guys have Pro-Q, it doesn't matter if two or three. In Pro-Q, you can switch this here to the note view and then you can put in your WAV file of the song you want to analyze and then you can basically see where the peaks are of of this file and then you can find out the notes. Let's say you drag in your favorite Elenium track and you see, oh, okay, it's playing a C and a, and a G and a D sharp or whatever, and then you can find out the chords that way. I think in Ableton there's a way faster way to do that, right? Where you just let Ableton analyze it right. and, you can and spit out a MIDI. MIDI for you. Yep, you can extract the MIDI and you know that that technology isn't amazing like it's it's amazing but it's not perfected if you're ever so this happened to me the other day where it was i wanted to dissect the melody and this the, the trick that you just saw is an amazing resource by the way and the one that you mentioned with ableton is a really good resource too and sometimes you can just go to google and type in your favorite song midi and you know it, it'll show up sometimes that doesn't happen though so like for example one of the songs that i want to dissect was elenium and excision song gold and so like the melody that was inside of it and i couldn't find it anywhere and i'm horrible at transcribing and i don't have the patience to do what you just said i'm so happy you do it proves the kind of person that you are but i don't have that and so here's a really cool hack it's not free but it's cool what you can do is you can go to fiverr and you can hire someone to transpose it for you and i did that they did everything for like 15 bucks they did all the chords and all the melodies and all the drums and like literally everything. I was really, really impressed. And so if you're ever in a pinch and you really want to know about something, you can go do that. But what you got, you know, if you're going down the route where, you know, you got more time than money, you know, and you're, you'd much rather just sit in your dawn and figure it out yourself. That's cool too, dude. That's cool. I just, I, I don't have the patience to do it. Well, that sounds like a great idea, actually. It's not really fun work if it's like 15 bucks and it saves me a whole lot of time. Sounds like a great idea. It's so good, right? You just type in like transpose song or transcribe song on Fiverr. Go with the top one that has like like 5,000 reviews. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Here's the song. Do it. You know what I mean? Get back to you in like 24 hours. You're like, is this real? Is this a real thing? This is so awesome. Yeah, I, I do that quite a bit. Like also for drum rhythms, that's pretty easy. Like if you just pull in a, another song, you set the BPM correct. And then you see, okay, where's this person putting their hit? You know, with what kind of timing? And then you can often see in songs that you like, it's like, okay, it's not perfectly on grid. And you, you can kind of figure out which genres even use what, what kind of rhythms do they use and which kind of offs, offset do they use? Because I, I saw this quite a lot when I was trying to do more, let's say, R&B electronic 
you can see that they are using wildly different swings than let's say dubstep and dubstep's using or chill chill music's even using another swing than that i had a fantastic time today is there any final words that you'd like to say to Don nation thank everyone for watching i hope i could inspire some people to try you know some different settings here and there than maybe you see on the on other tutorials there's i think there's a lot or not that much information on chill music right now on in terms of tutorials. Hey, Daw Nation. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of In the Daw with Tim Schaufert, breaking down his song, Wherever You Go, that was released on Lowly Palace. If you found anything in this episode that was helpful to you, take a screenshot right now and tag me on an Instagram story at In the Daw Behind the Daw and tell me what concept really, really helped you out this week. In fact, if there was anything that didn't make sense, if you have any questions at all, please comment below, send me a direct message, send me an email, do something. I want to hear from you, Daw Nation. In fact, make sure to tag Tim over on Instagram as well. I'm sure he would love to hear from you as well. Also, Donation, if you want to see more episodes like this where we break down chill songs because we haven't really done many chill songs in the past, go ahead and let me know. Leave a comment below. I would love to know your thoughts on this. Also, Donation, I would highly encourage you to go check out our podcast, Behind the Daw. Those episodes really step away from the technical side. You know, we're not talking about side chaining, compression, sound design, none of that stuff. We're talking about the emotional, the philosophical, the artistic, the business side of music, all right? Make sure to go check out the episodes with people like Dennis Koyu, KJ Saka, Dodge and Fusky, Rogue, Echoes, Carrot, there's a whole bunch of them. You can listen to that anywhere, like literally anywhere. You can listen to it on YouTube, on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Deezer, SoundCloud. It, it doesn't matter where you're at, what your preferred method of listening is. You can listen to it anywhere. In fact, we just started a new series where I, in my free time, am going to read a book. Now, I'm not going to read the book to you, but I'm going to read a book over the course of a month, and then each week, I'm going to record an episode and talk about the concepts in the book that are most important for you and your music and your career and your life, and I'm going to teach you how to apply them because this way, Don Nation, you don't have to go find the books, you don't have to read the books, and you don't even have to really exert the mental power to figure out how to apply it into your life. I'm going to do it all for you. Again, it's completely free. It's over on the Behind the Dog podcast. You can listen to it over there. It's not going to interfere with any of the other episodes that we have with big producers coming on or anything like that. Don't worry about that. Head on over to Behind the Dog and check that out. You'll absolutely love it. And then finally, Don Nation, if you want to take your sound design skills to a whole new level, then make sure to check out the AU5 In the Daw sound design course called the School of Bass. Donation, as of the release of this episode, we have had over seven and a half thousand people sign up for that course. And the unanimous vote is that it's absolutely amazing. The sound design techniques and concepts and principles and mindset that you get from taking the course is just unbelievable. It has over 20 hours of video showing extremely unique and advanced sound design techniques that AU5 and I have gathered over the last 15 years so that you can take these techniques and push them even further, create your own sounds, sounds that literally no one else is making, all right? It also has a ridiculously huge amount of effects racks, instrument racks, and project files, so you can go in, play with them, tweak them, take them even further. It's it's unbelievable, okay? We also include a bunch of bonuses, like MIDI arrangement templates, a sound design journal template, access to the private donation Facebook group, and a 20-minute strategy call with me, where we can examine what you have going on in your music career right now, and get the right habits going for you to absolutely crush it inside the music industry, all right? 
We originally priced out this course at $497, but right now we have two different payment options. Number one is a subscription model where you can just sign up for $47 a month. There's no long-term commitment. You can cancel any time. You can sign up for a month, two months, three months, you know, whatever you want. You're, you're completely in control for how long you want to be there. And with signing up with the subscription model, you get access to everything. There's nothing that is left out. You have everything right before you. And as we keep adding more and more content to the school base, you'll just keep getting that with your subscription. It's beautiful. But if you're not much of a subscription kind of person, don't worry. There is the lifetime access model. So where you just pay one price one time and you have access to everything that we have now and everything that we're going to put out with the school base in the future. And that is $247. But Dawn Nation, these prices that I'm talking about right now and enrollment with the school base isn't going to last very long. In fact, at the end of October 2019, we are going to be shutting down enrollment to the school base because we are going to be filming more and more content. We're going to examine what's going on, what works and everything like that. And so the members that are signed up at that before that time, they will not only get access to enrollment for as long as they want, but they're going to keep those prices. So if you sign up for the $47 a month, you got that. If you signed up for the lifetime access, boom, you have it for life. But when we come back, when we reopen enrollment at the beginning of 2020, prices are going to go up. Okay. Subscription model is going to go up. Cost of lifetime access is going to go up. So if you want to jump on this price right now, I'd highly encourage you to do so because the price is going to keep going up because of the amount of content and value that we're going to keep adding into the school base. Okay. So if you want to hop on this right now, I'd highly encourage you to do so. So Dot Nation, if all of this is sounding extremely interesting to you, then head on over to courses.inthedaw.net. That is courses.inthedaw.net. You can find the school base over there. Also, if you're on the fence about all this and you're not sure if it is really right for you, that's totally fine. Go ahead and head over to courses.inthedaw.net and check out our free course with the school base. Okay, We took some videos from the school base and put it in a free course so that you can test drive it, see if you like it. All right. And again, you can access that over at courses.inthedaw.net. But Daw Nation, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of In The Daw. And if you did, again, let me know either in the comments or by tagging me in an Instagram story at In The Daw Behind The Daw. But Daw Nation, I hope you have a fantastic day. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I can't wait to see you back here in two weeks for the new episode of In The Daw.